I want to look together in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said this. He said this. I want you to help me out. I am the, help me out. I am the, what is it? I am the. Okay, I want to hear that from everybody upstairs right now. Okay, one, two, three. I am the. Okay, that's good, but I asked the upstairs group, so we're going to have to work on. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, what does the word say? Will what? Will live. Live will live even though they die. Now, what exactly is a resurrection? To be clear, a resurrection is when something dies and then what? It comes back to life, right? It resurrects. Now, we, uh, in Adele's household, we have a couple of rabbits, and one of our rabbits is named Lucy, and one evening Heather declared, Lucy is dead. Aw, okay, right? Lucy's dead, and sure enough, we look out the window, and Lucy's lying there, late, lying sideways, face down, sideways, whatever, lying still, not moving at all. The, the rain's pouring down outside, so no one wanted to go check on her. And, and so we're just like banging on the window, wake up, wake up. You know, it, she was just lying there. And, and we were like, oh boy. So uh, we went to bed that night and mentally prepared for the fourth rabbit burial in the Delft's household. Uh, seriously, we have issues with rabbits. And so... We wake up the next morning, and Lucy, of course, is still lying there. A little while later, we go outside, and I'm not kidding you. That soaking, wet rabbit must have had its lucky rabbit's foot with it because all of a sudden, we could see its, its body, like, breathing. We're like, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? And then a little while later, the rabbit was up and moving around again. Lucy was dead. She came back to life. It was a resurrection miracle. I don't know, but... It was lying there, looked like it. it's the best I could come with a resurrection story. It's kind of hard to find resurrection stories out there. Jesus said this statement, I am the resurrection, in the context of a much broader story about another guy who did die, but he didn't stay dead, and his name was Lazarus. And I want to look at this story this morning, and I want to see how it intersects with the Easter story, because Jesus is the resurrection, death was arrested, and he came into our lives, and he saves us, and he makes us new, and he gives you and I true freedom. John chapter 11 is where we're going to be this morning. You can turn to John 11. You can turn to John 20. We'll be there also a little bit later. And if you have the version Bible app, you could also go on there as well. John chapter 11 and verse 1. It says this. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now, verse 3 uh, says this. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. And what did they tell him? They said, they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. There's really bad news in the middle of a good life. And there may be some of you who are here this morning and you're hurting right now. You've heard similar news. The one you love is. The one you love is sick. Or maybe you heard the news, the job you love is going away, and so are you. Or a, a dream marriage that you've been in has fallen apart and turned into a nightmare. Or a close relationship, friendship that you've had even for decades is falling apart and crumbling, and it's no longer going to last or the principal calls to talk about your teenage child and they're not calling you to tell that you that they're on the honor roll, right? You got some bad news, something that's not favorable. And it's in the middle of this that Jesus says something amazing. 
John chapter 11, verse 4. When he heard this news, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. And then he says this, he says, no, it's for what? It's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. God is somehow going to bring glory to himself through this terrible news, through this terrible tragedy. Then in verses 5 through 14, it basically goes on and everybody thinks Jesus is going to come quickly and he's going to heal Lazarus. After all, he's a friend and Jesus heals lots of people. Of course, he'll heal his friend, but Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus stays away for another two days. And then he tells his disciples in John 11, verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. He wasn't saying Lazarus was tired and taking a nap. That's not what's happening. It was a metaphor meaning he's really dead and I need to go and bring him back to life. And what I want to see as we look in a little deeper into this story this morning is that the characters in this story are very similar to us. That you and I, like the characters in this story, are often dead or dying on the inside in some way, shape, or form. And Jesus, the resurrection, he comes into our life and he can raise us up. I know you can relate to some of these situations and circumstances. Some of you can relate to Thomas. Thomas is dealing with doubts. He's dealing with doubts. He was known as, some of you might know this, what was his nickname? It was called, he was called what? Doubting Thomas, right? Well, it says in this verse, John 11, verse 16, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, or as his rapper buddies called him, T. Diddy. That's what he was known as. <laughs> so T. Diddy, you ever hear that in church? He says sarcastically to the rest of the disciples, he says this, look what it says. Let us all go that we may die with him. See, Thomas doubts that they're going to live if they head back there. Because the last time they went there, they were almost, Jesus was almost stoned to death by the people. And Thomas is thinking to himself, this isn't going to go well if we go back there. All right, that's fine. Let's just drink the Kool-Aid and all go die with him. And so he's dealing with doubts that this is going to turn out Well, I'm curious, how many of you, raise your hands if you've ever had spiritual doubts in your life. Raise your hands. Now, for those of you who didn't raise your hands, I'm just going to ask that you kind of, you know, polish your halo while I talk to real people for a moment. (laughs) Because the reality is this. I know you at one point in your life, I know I have, I've prayed and I've sought God, and I believed that God would, and I thought God would, and He didn't. And boom, I'm filled with doubts. I'm bombarded with doubts. Why didn't God do this? I thought God would. He's all-powerful. How come God didn't stop that from happening? There's something on the inside of some of us here this morning, and like Thomas, we're dealing with doubts. Or maybe some of you are like Mary. And Mary was one who was dealing with discouragement. You just don't see anything good happening in this situation. You can't seem to get a break in your life. John chapter 11, verse 20, it says, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet Jesus. But notice what Mary did. It says this, But Mary stayed at home. 
See, Mary was like, why bother? Why go, why go out there? I mean, my, my brother's already dead. Death is permanent. Death is final. There's nothing you can do now, Jesus. He's already dead. Maybe some of you are in that same space right now in your life. You think to yourself, I, I can't change it. I'm always going to feel alone. I'm always going to be depressed. I'm never never going to get out of this dead-end job that I'm in. I'm never going to have the relationships I want, the marriage that I want, the friendship that I want. My kids are never going to come along like I've prayed for. Um, uh, You're so discouraged. And then there's others of you. Maybe you can not relate to Thomas or Mary, but you can relate to Martha. She was dealing with delay. God, you took too long. Jesus, you should have showed up earlier and he didn't. Why did you take so long? We see this in John chapter 11, verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for how many days? For how many days? Four days. It went from bad, sick, to worse, dead. You don't come back from dead. Jesus, your delay resulted in death. It went from bad to worse. Have you ever been in a, like something in your life has gone from bad to worse to worse? March, chapter, or March 24th, 1989, the Exxon Valdez struck Prince William Sound's Bly Reef up in Alaska. Maybe some of you remember that story. Some of you might be too young to remember and never heard of it. But there were over 10 million gallons of crude oil that were spilled from that tanker. It destroyed the coast and killed hundreds of thousands of animals. The cost to clean up was uh, was incredible. It was so much money. And in fact, they tried to save animals. And and just to save sea otters, 2,800 sea otters died. But the cost to save one uh, sea otter was about $80,000 each. Um, to try to rescue them. Well, they, they got to the point where they had done a lot of relief and rescue efforts, and so there was a special ceremony, and they wanted to, you know, celebrate all the hard work of the people who were working, and they had these two sea otters at the cost of $80,000 to restore them to health and get all the oil off. They had them kind of showcase. They were like the, you know, the poster animals, so to speak, for the relief and recovery work, and so they culminated this big ceremony, and there's, you know, there's people there, and there's media there, and everyone's there. They culminated culminated this the, the um, ceremony by releasing the two sea otters back into the ocean and as they swam out and everybody's watching and saying goodbye as they swam out uh, a killer whale comes up and eats them <laughs> literally eats them it went from bad to worse and as I researched that story I still can't figure out if it was true or not there's different opinions on the internet John chapter 11, verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You took too long. It was bad, but if you had shown up, you would have healed him and he'd be better today, but he got worse. And I think there's some of you who can relate to this because you're deflated inside because you're dealing with with delays yourself. You've been praying for so much and for so long and you're still waiting and still hoping and praying for an answer. You're like, God, I'm faithful to you. 
I've been serving you and I want to get married and I'm praying for the right person to come along. Lord, come on, God. Or you're praying for a baby and you can't seem to conceive. The other couples in your life group, if they just look at each other, they have twins. You know, but you, it's like there's nothing. Some of, the, some of you, you're praying for your loved ones to experience God and to have an incredible experience, but it seems like the harder you pray and the more you pray, it seems the further they get from God and you're wondering, God, why won't they come around? Or you're praying for a healing or a recovery of some sort. And you know that we serve a God where the Bible says all things are possible with God. And you know that, and you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and God just doesn't seem to do anything. He isn't answering. And so you are dying on the inside because of delays. If that's you this morning, I hope you'll never forget that God's delays are not God's denials. Did you catch that? God's delays are not God's denials. Just because God hasn't done anything yet doesn't mean that God is not still in charge. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. It doesn't mean that God can't still be glorified in the midst of whatever you're going through. Now, I have quite a few Bibles in my office and and at home, and and this particular Bible I, I have says some very interesting that kind of grabbed my attention. And in this story, the story of John 11 starts on page 907. And it says here, chapter 11, the death of Lazarus. And so it goes through. And what's very interesting is I notice on page 907 in this particular Bible, everything that's bad, it all happens on page 907. For example, Lazarus dies, Thomas freaks out, Mary's depressed, Martha's mad. It's all that. And then at the bottom, you know, it says this, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, then I turn to page 908. And John chapter 11, verse 22 says this, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. In other words, Jesus, I trust you. And I know that if you will go before God, I believe in you and I trust in you. I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Some of you, I believe this morning, you need an even now moment with God. You need a situation because you have been stuck on page one or 907. And you've been in those moments and the bad has been there and you need to let some 908 faith come alive. You know what I'm saying? You're at a spot in your life where you have to say, God, even now, even though I'm discouraged, I know, God, that your presence can build up my faith. Even now, God, even though I feel alone, I need to have an even now faith. And I know that the Bible says the Holy Spirit is my comforter and that the Holy Spirit will give me peace that transcends all understanding. Even now, our God can reach into our jacked up families and bring healing and restoration and reconciliation and forgiveness. Even now, when there's something inside of you that is dead or is dying, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ can come into your life. And that's exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I, I get it, Jesus. I understand. I, she said this, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last days. 
She's thinking about a different resurrection. She's like, Jesus, that's great. I understand. At the end of time, that's great. I understand that. But I want help now. Not just later. I I need a miracle now. I need you to do some resurrection now. And that's when Jesus said it. John chapter 11, verse 25. And Jesus said, it's the verse we started with. He said, I am the what? I am the? Upstairs, say it with us. I am the? I'm the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I am able to resurrect. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And I hope you don't ever forget this. Write this down on paper. Write it down in your heart. The resurrection is not just an event. The resurrection is a person. The resurrection is not just something Jesus does. It's who he is. And so the resurrection, who is Jesus, looks at the tomb where Lazarus had been there. He had been dead for four days. And he said to the disciples in verse 39, take the stone away. We're like, what? Yeah, take the stone away. And after they moved the stone, verse 41, verse 43 says this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. Why did he call out in a loud voice? Because he's dead. Dead people don't hear well, right? called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I got to tell you, I'm glad he was specific about Lazarus. Because can you imagine Jesus calling out? You're going to have a zombie apocalypse right here, right? So it's good that he was just like, okay, Lazarus, everybody else, you stay in there. But Lazarus, come out. Some of you, this morning, you might feel dead on the inside. Maybe you've lost faith. Maybe you've lost hope. You're dead on the inside and you're dealing with discouragement. You're dealing with delays and the way God is responding or the way circumstances are working out. You're dealing with doubts, some serious doubts. But listen, and I hope you hear this. Here's the good news this morning. Death was arrested. Death was arrested. Now, what does that mean? It means that Jesus showed you and I, he arrested death. He showed you and I that he has the power over death. And if Jesus has the power over death, and his death is something that I think we would all say and agree is permanent, right? If Jesus has the power over death, then of course he has the power over any situation you're going through. Did you catch that? If he has the power over the death, then he has the power over anything you and I are going through. Our discouragements, our, the delays, the frustrations, the sicknesses, the relationship challenges, the financial challenges, whatever it is, Jesus has power over that. Now, here's where the Easter story ties in to this story where Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, because this was a precursor to what was to come on Easter. And the Easter story is going to give us confidence to everything that Jesus has been saying to you and I and to his disciples and everybody there at the time. And I want to pick up the Easter story in John chapter 18. You can turn to chapter 20. We'll get there in a second. But in John chapter 18, the Bible tells us that soldiers came to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Gethsemane where Jesus and his disciples were. And they went there to arrest Jesus. When they arrested Jesus, that set in motion a series of events. Jesus was dragged into an illegal trial at night where he was convicted, not because of anything he did wrong, but because of who he was and what he said. He was then punished with 39 lashes across his back, which for many people, that would right then and there result in their death. 
for those who did live, they would then go on to execution. They chose for Jesus Roman execution, which was crucifixion by cross. A, cro- a crucifixion by cross was, was publicly humiliating. Because after you were beaten with those 39 lashes and beaten with rods and whatnot, you were stripped naked. And then your hands and feet, were, your hands were spread out, your feet were put together, and nails were, were hammered into your hands, nails were hammered into your feet, and you were nailed to that cross, and that would hold your body up on the cross. You were then placed along a major highway for all to see the criminal who was being executed. It was a slow, humiliating, painful, agonizing way to die. Jesus, who was not a criminal, hanging on that cross in John chapter 19, verse 30, said this. He said, it is finished. It is finished. And with that, the Bible says he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. To which everybody thought, of course, it's finished. Death is final. That's the problem, Jesus. It's over now because you're dead. It's over, Jesus. And yet we, your followers, we gave up everything to follow you. We gave up our family businesses. We gave up friendships. We gave up great incomes. We gave up living in a great place to follow you around. And now that's all finished. It's a horrible ending. What they didn't yet understand, though, is that when Jesus said it is finished, it didn't mean it is over. It is finished does not mean it is over. Remember, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Sigmund Brower wrote a book entitled The Carpenter's Cloth, Christ's Journey to the Cross and Beyond. And in it, he talks about the tradition of the carpenter in Israel in the first century. And he writes about how a carpenter in the first century in Israel would let somebody know that a job they were working on was finished. When a carpenter finished a job, he would fold a cloth, the cloth or a cloth in a certain way and place it near that project, symbolizing that this is now finished. And if that cloth was not folded, then it meant that the project was still a work in progress. I think that's kind of interesting when we think about what happens next in the Easter story. And you might know the Easter story. Jesus was then taken off the cross. He was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea where he lied dead for three days. Let's pick up the story. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. John chapter 20, verse 1. It said, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Real quick, the one Jesus loved here. This is John who's writing this gospel, and it's actually John who writes that. He's writing in this story in third person. I don't know if he has insecurity issues that he has to, hey, remind everybody, hey, Jesus loves me. But the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. You see how this ties back into the story of Lazarus and all that happened just a few days prior? The followers of Jesus are discouraged right now, right? After all, the plan didn't come together. They thought Jesus was going to take over. They thought Jesus was going to be king. They thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom. He talked about it all the time. And now he's dead. 
There was delay. It's been three days since they buried Jesus in the tomb. And this is just rubbing salt on the wound that, hey, he, he, somebody stole his body. Somebody took his body. And, and, and so they're discouraged in there because there's this delay that's happened and Jesus is gone. But also they're definitely dealing with doubt. Even though Jesus said, I'll rise from the dead three days later. Even though Jesus said when he raised Lazarus, he said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Even though he said all of that, they're dealing with doubt because they're not believing it. They don't believe it and they don't understand it. They're doubting. And then we see in the story, John chapter 20, verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Some of you have wondered, why is Pastor Chris so competitive? It's very simple. It's biblical. It's biblical. John's like, just so you know, I got there first, right? I outran Peter. Step off, Peter, you know, step off. Verse 5, so John bent over looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Verse 6, Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Now I want you to notice the next line. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. One translation says it this way. The cloth was folded up in a place by itself. Is that ringing a bell to anybody? If a carpenter took their cloth and folded it up neatly to signify that a project is finished, that a project is complete, maybe, just maybe, Jesus is trying to say to them and trying to say to us, it is now finished. My project is now finished. My mission is now complete. Death has been arrested because I rose from the dead. And now you can truly be free. And now you can truly experience eternal life in me because death was arrested. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 states it best. Verse 54 and following, it says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death was arrested by just one. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one, the only one who conquered death. So death no longer has a sting. Death no longer has victory associated with it. Death is no longer final. There is now life beyond the grave. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus was trying to remind them of that by folding up that cloth before he headed out of the tomb, and, and he was like, oh, wait, wait, I've got to fold this up, let them know, mission completed, mission process, mission complete. Verse 8, finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, again, he's reminding us, hey, I'm faster than Peter, who reached the tomb first, also went inside. Notice the words. He saw and believed. Could it be in that moment that now John saw that the tomb was empty, the cloth was folded, and he remembered those words of Jesus. John chapter 11, verse 25, when Jesus said, I am the what? I am the? I am the resurrection and the life. 
and the one who believes in me, that one will live. Maybe in that moment, he remembered back to the Lazarus story. So similar, the tomb is empty. Maybe John saw the cloth folded and it was a reminder to him, no, somebody did not steal the body and fold the cloth. But what happened is Jesus shed those grave clothes and he walked out of the tomb alive, alive, alive. And John realized death was arrested and it no longer had the power that it once had. John realized, and my hope and my prayer this morning is that you realize that the story of Easter is that because death was arrested by Jesus Christ, life can now begin anew and fresh. Since Jesus had the power over death, he has the power over your discouragements. He has the power over your doubts. He has the power over your frustrations. He has the power over anything that you're facing in a delay in, anything you're going through. If Jesus can conquer death, then he can conquer anything that's going on in your life and you've put your hope and faith and trust in him. He will give you a new life, a free life, a fresh life. What he described as life to the fullest, real and better life than you could ever imagine. And in fact, if you'll invite him into whatever you are facing, as we saw earlier this morning, he can even be glorified in that. Jesus arrested death. And because of that, he wants to come into your life and give you a new start and give you a fresh start. Life to the fullest. Maybe you're brand new to LifePoint. Man, we're glad you're here and we want to welcome you back. We would love for you to come back and hear more about who this Jesus is. We start a new sermon series next week called Jesus Who? Jesus said a whole bunch of statements about himself, and we want to explore those statements, and we want you to explore those with us and learn more about this one who arrested death and who can give you freedom and who can give you a new and fresh start. So we want to invite you, come back. Come join us again next week. Some of you, when the service is over, you need to head out those doors out there and go to the space to the left of the coffee bar that's right out those doors and sign up for our next steps class. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross and what you're doing in your life and you're pursuing a relationship with God and getting connected to a local church, you say, hey, what does that look like and how do I be a part of a church and how do I continue my spiritual journey? Our next steps class tells you all about that. So we'd love to talk to you about what your next steps look like with us here. So maybe some of you, that's your next step and your next decision is to sign up. And then there's some of you today. Today is your day like it was for John. That you see that the tomb is empty and you're not here today by accident. God has you here on purpose today. And for you, today is the day that you now finally see and you finally believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And today you can be made new and receive eternal life through a relationship with Jesus. What does that look like for you if that's you? It starts by receiving Jesus into your life by faith, by accepting Jesus, not just as your Savior, but as your Lord. And if you will invite Jesus into your heart and into your life this morning, because he lives, you too can live. And you can face tomorrow. Do you want to receive this amazing gift of eternal life and to join the family of God? Because he lives, he conquered death, and he will give you new life. And if you'd like to receive Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now to ask Jesus into your life and for him to save you. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we come before you this morning and we ask that you hear our prayers. And God, we thank you for the message of Easter. We thank you that you didn't just die and were buried in a tomb, but Jesus, because you're the resurrection, you arrested death, you conquered death, you rose from the dead, and we can have eternal life in you. So God, for those who are here this morning who are ready to give their life to you, to trust you with their life for the very first time, receive them into your family. And if that's you, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask that you would pray with me right now. It's not even the exact words. It's more that you would mean it in your heart. You would say something like this. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for my sins, for for arising from the dead three days later. Because you live, I know that I can live. And so right now, Jesus, as best as I know how, as best as I understand, by faith, I give my life to you. I surrender to you. I choose to no longer live for myself, but to live for you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me and for giving me eternal life. I am yours. Thank you for coming into my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And God, I pray that the heavens are rejoicing as people have prayed that for the very first time here and literally across the world, Lord, during this Easter morning in churches all around the world. We rejoice, God, that your kingdom has grown today because you arrested death and you conquered the grave and you've given us new life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Easter story. In Jesus' name, amen.